If you're using the church Bibles, it's page 18. That's Genesis chapter 18. And verse 16. Just to say that uh, it's quite encouraging. This is a series that's been set by um, Cornerstone. And we are following them. And it's lovely that as a church that we can um, be a means of stimulus the one to another. It's part of a series on prayer. And here Abraham is incredibly bold in approaching God. So it's the book of Genesis chapter 18 and taking up our reading at verse 16. Abraham has been giving generous hospitality and now he is seeing people from his home and walking with them and wishing them well and then a conversation ensues. When the men got up to leave They looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, as if sort of speaking to himself in Abraham's presence. We're not fully sure if it is audible or not. And then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are fifty righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous and the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Then the Lord said, If I find fifty righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than fifty? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find forty-five there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again he spoke to him, 
What if only forty are found there, he said. For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only thirty can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. Abraham said, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only twenty can be found there? He said, For the sake of twenty I will not destroy it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. If we look out, if we took out the last two words in the heading uh, on the notice sheet, is it wrong to argue? I think we would all say yes, it is. Is it wrong to argue with God? You might well say yes, very much it is. We are human, he is divine. We are imperfect, he is perfect and holy and just. I guess many of us struggle to understand um, the true merit and value and the purpose of prayer. After all, if God is the sovereign Lord and knows the end from the beginning, then is it not in one sense a rather futile exercise? If we were to say is it wrong to argue uh, in terms of what's referred to as sibling rivalry in the home? Yes. Is it wrong to argue in marital relationships? Yes. Is it wrong to argue as church members with a, a diversity of opinions? Yes, I suppose. But what we have here in Genesis 18 is an example of audacious prayer. A form of bold, confrontational, daring encounter between Abraham and what some people would refer to as a theophany, an appearance of God. And you'll know in the Old Testament, Jesus appeared in what is called his pre-incarnate presence. So he's talking to God. And he says, I have a problem. What you are about to do is inconsistent and is unjust. So this is an example, as from that reading and its, its context of this audacious praying. Just to try to open this up for a moment, to provoke some thought, which I hope is constructive, there are at least two vital elements, two dynamics at play here. First is petition, the prayer itself, the substance of that prayer, which we have seen. And the second, which is more tricky, is the motive. The motive. 
Now, I don't know your motive, and you certainly don't know mine, and we don't know Abraham's, although the context gives us a little indication. So we're thinking about the substance of the prayer and its sincerity, or if you like, the content of it and its conviction as he seems to confront the Lord with what he's about to do. I, one thing you can't lose sight of here, and that's sure true of all of us, that Abraham's motive is governed by his nephew, Lot, who is about to perish in this judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Like a mighty volcano that is going to erupt and engulf the people. But I put to you, before we get into the prayer by way of introduction now, there's a very fine line between petition and motive. Stay with that. Apply it yourself when you pray as best you can. What is your real motive? And I think if you do that exercise, you'll find that sometimes it's quite tricky even for you to know. Turn to the book of James. We haven't got too many cross-references, but hopefully this will try to um, provoke some thought as we think about this type of praying. It's James chapter 4 and verse 3. James 4 and verse 3, page 1215 in your Bibles. It's under this heading now of submitting yourself to God. And as if he asks, well, what does cause quarrels among you? Do they not come from your desires, in fact, if you like? All conflicts, whether they are national or personal or family, are from the inside out, not from the outside in. Circumstances exacerbated, but what we are by nature causes these sort of things. Okay, and then we come to verse 3. What do you make of this? When you ask... You do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, James suggests, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures, and whatever that is, whatever is particularly lacking, may not be a bad thing, but merely a selfish thing. So it's a fine line between petition and motives. That's just one example. Doubtless we could have many more. So let me try to put these in reverse without complicating things. So you are going to pray and at the very least you have these two elements. Petition and motive. The content of your prayer and the sincerity of it. God may say yes to the petition but no to the desire. Turn to the book of Psalms, which gives the history of the children of Israel as God had blessed them. This is Psalm 106. See what you make of this. Psalm 106 and verses 13 to 16. It's an account of God providing for his people, redeeming them, bringing out of their bondage, bringing them through the Red Sea, providing manna, and so on and so forth. And God had blessed them, and there is this sort of pause in the midst of the psalm, constantly. And so verse 13, But they soon forgot what he had done, 
and did not wait for his counsel. In the desert they gave in to their craving. In the wasteland they put God to the test. They grieved him. So he gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease upon them. I think the other references say, sent leanness of soul. That they became a people who had forgotten that they have a soul. But of all the benefits and the blessings that they enjoyed, this was a little P.S. at the end of their lives and hopefully they'll be okay. God says yes to the petition, but no to their desires. There's no blessing. And there's no spiritual progress. But equally God can do the opposite to that. God may say no to the petition, no to the prayer, but yes to our desire. And I think we have this in Genesis. All of this is, a, is a, if you like, a, a, an introduction, a lead-in so to provoke some thought about these two things. This audacious praying, this arguing with God. This is not Abraham losing his temper, not that, but engaging in this bold, confrontational praying. Daring, audacious praying. And I feel like asking you, have you, or when have you last prayed like that? Or don't you know anything about this? Are our petitions so gentle and mild? Or maybe we should be emboldened to do this. So in Genesis 18, 20 to 21, from our reading, God may say no to our petition, but yes to our desires. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. His petition about Sodom and Gomorrah is denied, as we know, if you read on um, in chapter 19. It's destroyed. However, his concern for his nephew, Lot, was answered. Now here's an interesting thing to pause and just to provoke a bit of thought about this. The Lord has to deal with each of us. And you will find it in the book of Hebrews, remember Lot's wife. Why don't we remember Lot? Well, they came out of that impending judgment. But the truth is that Mrs. Lot would have preferred to have stayed where she was. And it was true with the children of Israel. You could bring them out of Egypt, but it took generations to take Egypt out of them. And we can come to faith in Christ, but we bring with us, we call it today, baggage. So even our praying at best there is this idea of petition and motive. And it's this work of redemption, or what we call sanctification, changing, that's taking place. And the truth is, and we well know it, we don't particularly like it. Wesley is right, isn't he? Take away the love of sinning, Alpha and Omega V. We do it because we like it. 
So the context here of this bold encounter with God is a very powerful illustration of praying. Let's come to the passage then and we'll try not to make too many other cross-references from now on. The meal concludes. It is this traditional and very delightful uh, hospitality that is still prevalent in the Middle East. And it's an interesting thing that as they have this meal, so prophecy is given to Sarah that beyond her years she is going to have a child. And she doesn't believe it. And she even denies that she doesn't believe it when she's challenged. Nevertheless, God's word is true. And with that hospitality over, from verses 9 to 16, this message is delivered. And We take up the reading in verse 16. When the men got up, angels they would have been, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. This is a very interesting thing. I was reflecting on how to illustrate this. And Hannah used to say that in rural uh, Ireland, when farmers would visit occasionally, that they, they, the host would walk their friends halfway home. And then halfway home, they would engage and say, thank you for that lovely meal. They'd shake hands and so on. And then they would go to their separate homes. It was a tradition. It was a way of paying respect. And I was thinking, well, how do we do that today uh, when we have people to our home? I, I suggest that uh, when people leave, you don't shut the door. Watch them walk down the house. Watch them to the gate if you've got one. See them into the car if they are. Just say goodbye. It's a little thing. Well, that's what's happening here. He walks with them. And he engages with them. Walking and talking is a very beautiful thing. It's not orchestrated. It's just quite a spontaneous thing that happens. That's the context here. And a message is delivered. Abraham's visitors leave and he now finds that he's walking with one person. And actually he feels that he can tell this person what's on his heart. Do you actually do that when you pray? It may be you think, well, God wouldn't like what's on my heart. Well, tell him anyway. Because he wants to hear it. So he walks with them. And now read very carefully verses 17 to 19. This is very interesting. Abraham will surely be a great and powerful nation and so on. And it's a sort of what is called a soliloquy. It's like as if the Lord is speaking to himself but talking out loud. And it's like as if not Abraham is eavesdropping but he's listening to what the Lord is saying. And in verses 20 to 21 God confides in Abraham. And now a dialogue begins. An encounter a passionate, confrontational encounter. I wonder if you could ever think, uh, when you get to verse 22, the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Have you ever wondered at any given time, you're in people's company, and then it's you and the Lord. It's you and Jesus. There you are. 
That's what happens here. And it's not so wonderful. And this dialogue, this passionate interfacing begins. It's real. There's no pretense. It's difficult. So just, that, that's where it is. I hope that you can apply that to your own situations where, where you find yourselves. And notice then, first of all, there's this sort of crisis of faith taking place. And what is it? The crisis is that God is inconsistent. Oh, that's a very serious thing to say. But that's what you get here. And so you see in verse 23, when Abraham approached him, he said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? How can you do that? It's not fair. He doesn't say that. It's not just. It's not just. It's inconsistent. And so he goes on to ask in verse 24, What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? He asks the question... And in a sort of rhetorical way, almost answers it. Look at verse 25. Far be it from you to do such a thing. How can you? How can God, how can God do that? To kill the righteous with the wicked? Treating the righteous and the wicked alike? What is this? Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And he poses a question to God. You are the judge of all the earth. Surely you're going to do right. How can you do wrong? That is a great crisis of faith. And you might feel on a minor scale that you have been there. Maybe you're there tonight. And quite frankly all you're doing is maybe you just hope it'll go away. It'll get better. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is this. There is a conflict of faith. And this is what you have in the rest of, of this passage in verses 26 through to 33. What do you make of it? The Lord said, in reply to Abraham, If I find fifty righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Well, there you have answered the question. And now you see what begins to happen. Abraham's not going to leave it like that. Fifty people. It's as if he is posing a question, and it's this. Is there a flaw in the character of God. Is he really? Is he? Here we are. Mere mortals who are on this world at this particular time. And soon will be gone. Is it random? Chance? Or is God actually in control of our lives? And we are here tonight. Is God unjust? Is God uncaring? Is God unmerciful? Is God unfaithful? Well, no way. But it seems like it if you get into this prayer. From Abraham's perspective, it seems to be so. So let me ask a question. What does prayer do 
Not so much in terms of its final answer and outcome, but what does it do in this process? Well, I hope this is a help. Prayer takes us into the presence of a personal, sovereign, covenant God. And he cannot, there, of course he says that, there are, there are some things God cannot do. And this he cannot do. He cannot deny himself. He cannot break his word. He can't. Because of who he is. But it seems to be so. Prayer takes us into the presence of a personal, sovereign, covenant God. So you come back to it. Here is Abraham. And it's you and Jesus. Abraham and God. All I would hope to do in this, in this uh, sermon, if you like, is to try to get you to think about how we pray and, and how we can engage a bit more. And maybe that you want to go home and have an encounter with God. And perhaps the, the things that have troubled you, bring them to him and ask him. Here's a question. And uh, let me try to put it to you like this. You've got the context now and you see how bold uh, Abraham is in this praying. Did he stop too soon? 50, 45, 30, 10? Why didn't he say one? What did he had? Well, we won't know. We can ask him when we get to heaven. But, do we stop too soon? Do we ask too little? Abram is animated in this conversation. So, what's the application for us? Well, let me give four very quick uh, things that we can, we can say here. The first is this, and it's stay with, with this passage, this soliloquy, this walking and talking, this interfacing with God, though you may not fully know it. Remember the way Jacob said, God was in this place. I didn't know. The first thing that we really need to do is just to watch for God. Abraham didn't know, but at a certain point, he does. At what point was it when the others left? We don't know. But, but it was. Watch for God. And the Lord appeared to Abraham in a very subtle way. This had never happened to him before. Why shouldn't new things happen to us as well? It's not with an announcement. Not necessarily in church. It's just as he's walking along the way. Doing what is a traditional thing. Doing what he normally did. Learn to look for God in our everyday experiences. And not to think that God is limited to the crisis. But that he's with us all the time. And listen for his voice. Yes, in your conversation with him. Because now you are talking. And it's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. Watch for God. 
Watch for him. He is nearer, nearer to you than what you might know or appreciate. And the next, the, the second thing is this by way of application, is this walk with God. Walk with God. Abraham's stroll with God taught him God's plan. God shared with him. Maybe Abraham didn't want to know that plan. Ignorance is bliss, isn't it? How can this almighty God judge these people for their grievous sin? When Billy Graham was preaching a sermon on this, he said this 40 years ago. If God doesn't judge America, he owes an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. That amazing thing. He's not praying for judgment on a nation that he loved. All that he's saying is this, that God sees the grievous sin that's coming. And surely that can be said of the whole Western world. Walk with God. And as you walk with him, you too will fall into step with him. It's a different rhythm. It's a different pace. And of course, the, the next thing that you have to do is to talk to God. That's the whole point of uh, trying to ask this question. Is it wrong to argue with God? Well, of course, it depends what you're saying and depends on your motive and, and my motive. And Well, you have to take that to him as well. At least Abraham felt emboldened enough in the Lord's presence to contend for a sinful city. He says, my family live there. What's to become of them? You know the way the old hymn puts it, oh what peace we often forfeit, oh what needless pains we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We forfeit the peace of mind because we fail to take our worries to God. That's what Abraham does. That's our verse, isn't it? And we must return to it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. That's what Abraham did, long before Paul wrote it. And lastly, perhaps a very difficult thing in our busy world and busy lives, to wait on God. When do we want it? Now. Wait on God. His plans are greater than we will realize. Isaiah is right, isn't he? Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Not like a dog chasing its tail, getting nowhere. They will mount up like wings on eagles, or these beautiful red kites that we see flying over the village and the town. To renew our strength, to mount up like wings of eagles, to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint. And Abraham's concern for Lot moved God to mercy. Lot didn't deserve it, but nor did Abraham, nor does anybody. I don't think we are saying that God changes his mind. But there is 
a certain point in praying where as if God says, okay, let's go on a little journey. Let's walk together. Let's sort of see this through. And as if the Lord says, um, look, I will if you will. Does he want to test? We're not testing his power. He is testing our sincerity. That is a great answer to prayer. It's a great application in praying. Is it wrong to argue with God? I don't think so. Oh, we need, need to be like Abraham to say, but I, I am but dust and ashes. And you are Almighty God. I know this. This I know. The God of all the earth. He will do right. Even if it seems to me that it isn't. And I think that is one of the great encouragements of interfacing Arguing, if you like, talking, listening, in an audacious, daring way that you say, I know, if you use a human, I'm pushing my luck here, but I know that you are good, and I know that you are just, and I know that you want me to come to you, so I'm coming, I'm coming. You should come like that, more often. And when we think of the needs of our church and fellowship, that's how we should come. That even if you say, this, Lord, this is not for me, this is for someone in great need now. That's how we should come. And that's how we should pray.